Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I started watching the new season of The Crown last night Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered whether or not they will go up to today and cover what's all been happening with Prince Andrew, the Queen's son. Well, did I tell you that I met the young woman, uh, Emma, who is going to be playing Princess Diana? You did tell me that, Because yeah. her friend, Lara, working on the People's Vote campaign before it was utterly destroyed by Roland Rudd. It's good that you got that in there. I think it's yeah. important that people know. No, we should talk about Roland Rudd. You don't much like him, do you? I don't much like him. No. I feel he's but let's not, let's not... a bit full of himself. Well, so Anna, uh, Emma... Uh, is playing Diana. Is playing Diana. Who's playing you? That's the question. Well, I don't know. But she's playing the young Diana. She's, yeah, only, so she's wh- only going up to twenty six, I think it is. So or somebody else. So when? And there's some way off. You I mean, be a character. I don't know. When? Where are they up to? Harold Wilson. Harold Wilson now mm. and LBJ. Well, there's a long way to go. Long yeah. way to go. But it is. Um, you you do wonder is the Queen in the right state? Because why did she let Prince Andrew? do that interview? Hmm. Well, I doubt that she... I mean, She I, did. She approved well, it. Well, hold on a minute. Uh, I think the formulation used by the palace press officer was was aware of. Uh, that doesn't. That's not necessarily the same as approved. My sort of almost favourite part of it is that after he did that interview, he thought it had gone so well, he stood up and gave everyone a tour around the palace. Yeah, but he might have thought, mm, that wasn't very good, so I'll try and be nice to them. You just don't know. So much crap gets written about the royal family. Now, also, it was, you look, know it was what I love? Can I just say what I love is that video of Boris Johnson being asked whether or not he's relatable. Oh, with, with Nagam and Yeah, Chitty. oh, my God, it's un. Believable. About, wh- he, goes, you... he goes. He goes. Uh, um, um, well, um, I was very uh, uh, l- lucky to um, have come from a family where um, we were very sported and um, like nothing. He that just had awful. absolutely. But listen, do you know what's really nothing to say. Do you know what it is? Because he doesn't see his family, so that's mm. not relatable. He has no relationship with his children. Mm. There is nothing relatable about him. But you know what was interesting? Um, I was at the CBI doing a panel on mental health the same day that he and Jeremy Corbyn and Joe Swinson Mm. were speaking. I mean, Johnson went down like a bag of sick. And he still thinks... Were you there? Yeah. He still thinks that that bumbling, jokey, ruffled hair thing is appealing. I think people find it utterly revolting. I also think that one of the reasons why the Prince Andrew story has been so big... I mean, yes, it was a terrible interview. Yes, it was a bit of a car crash. But I think one of the reasons the right-wing papers are just banging it for all it's worth 
because the election is to boring. get away from the election, which is quite boring. And Johnson's crap. Yeah, I know, but the, the election is. I'm finding it very boring, apart from the sort of odd car crash interview. Mm. Well, Nagger certainly got him on that. Yeah, it was a really, really good mm. moment. That. Anyway, should we talk about the podcast? Let's talk about who we've got on the podcast this week. Well, so this is somebody that I um have known since I was a child and mm-hmm. you've known since beyond me being a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are friends with her through some friends that you have via politics. For decades and for decades. For decades and decades. She started being the leader of the Social Democrats. Well, she started as an MEP. Mm-hmm. That was her first step on the political ladder, yeah. Yep, and then she became the leader of the Social Democrats in Denmark. Mm-hmm. She's Danish, mm-hmm. from Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to be the first ever female Prime Minister of Denmark. Apart from the fictional one in Borgen. Yes, exactly. Mm. Well, they sort of won at they the same sort of time. They at the same time, and, yeah. yeah. Um, so the person we've got on the podcast today is... Is Hella Thorning-Schmidt. Oh, I said her name wrong. Thorning-Torning. I thought it was Thorning. Thorning-Torning. It's a bit like Greta, Greta Tung... Some people say Thunberg. yeah. Do you think that's OK, then? I think it's fine. OK. You say Thorning, I, you say thorning, I say okay, Thorning. OK, fine. I'm not going to take Are you ready? Can we start? Or are you going to fill up your phone? I'm... Are you getting Instagram withdrawal symptoms? You haven't done one for two seconds. I'm not... Have you posted that picture? Not yet. <laughs> OK, you ready? OK, I'm ready, mate. So, Hella, it's lovely to have you with us. And you are utterly unique. You are the first of our guests who has actually known Grace all of her life. I have. I was just thinking that when I walked over here, I think actually I remember walking Grace in her pram and I've known, I've known you all your life. So listen, uh, what, yeah. so that, I was actually, you've, you've answered the first question, but what's your first really colourful memory of Grace Campbell? Because this is no longer about us. Our generation's gone, Helen. We no, 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 it's, it's, it's all an, about it's Grace. It's the next generation. Well, I've got a lot of colourful memories of, of Grace because we spent a lot of time together when, when we, you were kids and um, you were playing My Daughter, Johanna, and uh, every evening round the pool... Uh, in France, in a nice, nice uh, villa, we were all be, we would all be forced to first buy tickets for the show that would come on later uh, that evening, and then sit still and not talk to each other. And this is difficult with the people that were watching here not talk to each other while you performed a show for what felt. But like what was the hours. show? The, shows, the show, shows were like little pieces of theatre or something that like was supposed to be theatre that uh, Gracie was instructing uh, yeah, the kids to, do, to, yeah, do, to yeah. do, yeah, very successfully. Yeah. So, in, in the, I actually we, think it sounds like I showed great promise. You showed absolute great promise. You like to perform, that's for yeah. sure, and uh, you also showed great capacity to keep your parents in check <laughs> and, and the rest of us, of course. Uh, I, I can remember once, I, I can't remember if it was Grace or Johanna, but one of them saying, you're not supposed to laugh at that bit. No, we laughed at the wrong places. <laughs> Obviously, Alistair couldn't keep quiet, and he got told to just be quiet, which is very good. And you did that very with great effect. So I remember very vividly uh, Gracie instructing everyone else to do these shows, theatre, and uh, we would all have to be quiet for a very long time and watch it and wow. applaud at the end. Uh, standing ovations. Standing ovations, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And if we didn't do it enough, we, we just got tested again. So yeah. she was a... She was a little bit, yeah, she was firm with us. Yeah, yeah. So, because I, I love Johanna and Camilla, your daughters, so much, and we, you know, growing up, did yeah. bond a lot and actually had lots of similar experiences, but they, in a much more extreme way, because they grew up while you were the Prime Minister they of did. Denmark and yeah. you were living in Denmark. What was that like for them, do you think? Well, we've talked a lot about it since. I was also, I published a book a few years back where 
we actually interviewed them about their experience. And somehow I think we did manage to have something of a normal life uh, next to the madness of being prime minister and being in, in a public eye. So I do think that they, they in their experience, we, had, we did have a normal life and they always had loads of friends coming around the house. And I tried to leave the prime minister at the doorstep when I came in. And when I came into the kitchen and I cooked and I was just there, I was just their mum and Hille and the person that they, they needed and not the prime minister. which Moa. They, they, Moa, exactly. Moa. The, oh. They certainly don't need the prime minister. They need their, their mum to come home. And so do how much do you think they thought about the fact that you were the prime minister? Well, I think they thought about it much less than I, I thought. I mean, sometimes there was like scandals or you're on the front page of the papers, which you often are, of course. And I would sometimes warn them because on their way to school, when they walked to school, they would, they would actually see like a big front page of a paper. And I w- tried to warn them a little bit so they didn't get nervous about that. So I just tried to tell them what they needed. But Camilla was extremely small. So when I became leader of my party, which I was for more than 10 years, I mean, she had no idea what I was actually doing. So she, she started... People start talking about me, you know, how they talk about a, a person mm. who is very, who is famous. And uh, one day she came home and said, what is it that you're actually doing? <laughs> so, but on the thing about yeah. it being maybe, do you think Denmark, not just because it's a smaller country, but also culturally, do you think it's less aggressive to politicians no, than here? No, it is aggressive <clears throat> to politicians. And I we experience very aggressive things also towards the children. So it was and it is an aggressive really? environment. Also, journalism there is as, as aggressive <coughs> as it is in this country. Do you think so? Yeah, quite. Um, but what is different is that a politician is more expected to live a normal life mm. next to be a, a politician. So this surprised a lot of people. I would often, even when I was prime minister, I would leave the office at around five, go home. I would actually cook for the kids, be there, do like a bit of homework, be like a normal family. Then, of course, I would work in the in the evening evenings and finish things off and have mm. loads of phone calls as you do but I would try to have as much of a normal life as possible and people didn't think that was strange I think they would think that was strange do you think, do you think it yeah helped because the... of the way that the public sort of think that they have ownership of politicians yeah here. do you think that's it, not as extreme there I think it's not as extreme and I think you're actually expected to do normal things and you know go to the shops and go to the football if your if your kids are playing a football match or you're expected to do normal things that's part of what mm. people expect from you and I'm I certainly once, made it more normal. I remember once going, having dinner with you and Steve and the girls in a restaurant in Copenhagen, and it, it was like, I sort of thought it'd be a bit of a big deal, you walking in, but it wasn't really. It no, like, people are super nice, and yeah. particularly, I mean, people are super nice, and they, they still are very, very nice to me, and they they leave you alone, and or they come up and say hello or say nice things, so I think it's a very nice atmosphere, mm. actually, to be a prime minister. I never experienced anyone, apart from a few things, um, uh, which that where it was unpleasant to be in the public uh, domain. And on the on the children, the girls. Do you, do you think it helped having a dad, Stephen Kinnock, who had been through something probably a lot worse? Because I mean, were you aware of how badly Neil used to get treated? Yeah, I was. So I was aware of that, and I I have to admit that me being part of this family and also the extended family and with you guys yeah. as well, uh, much before I I actually became a politician and uh, became a leader of my party. I remember conversations with, with Neil, uh, uh, Steve, uh, you, Alistair, Fiona, um, Philip Gould. Uh, I mean, the whole group of people that were around me definitely prepared me for public life uh, and also what it's like to be in politics. So I never expected it would be like a, a, 
a picnic, mm. a Sunday picnic. I always expected that it would be tough and rough, and, and it was. It is hard to be in politics. I'm not going to say that it wasn't. It wasn't a rosy thing. It's hard to be in politics, but it's also extremely rewarding to be able to serve the people and the country that you love. Mm. But did, did, did Neil's experience... I was it, Part of me was surprised that Neil's experience didn't put Steve off it completely. I was as well. Um, I wasn't surprised that... I mean, I didn't get put off by it. And I remember phoning him and saying, I'm going to stand for leader. And um, he said, it was the same day I was standing, and he said, oh, mate, don't. Don't pick up the shirt. Don't do Is it. Is it Steve or Neil? Neil. Neil. Really? Uh, yeah. But well, he told me not to work for Tony. Yeah. I mean, Neil really wants to re- protect the people that he loves. And so he tried to protect me from that and also the family from that. So he tried to dissuade, dissuade me. And he also saw it was very early in my public career, which it was. Mm. Uh, How old were you? How old was I? I mean, I was mid 30s or something. Wow. But the weird thing is, well, I got elected for parliament on the Tuesday, and on the Thursday, I decided to stand for leader, <laughs> which is a bit of wow. a dancing move. Oh my God, and you won. <laughs> I did win, but it wasn't, it wasn't self evident that would We should win. let people know that you had been a member of the European Parliament, where in Denmark, they're better known than our members of parliament. Yeah, but European I wasn't parliament. particularly known. I mean, I, I was known, but not like world famous in Denmark. But um, in any way, it was, it was a big step for me also to stand as leader, of course. And, and Neil was trying to protect us. Uh, and Stephen, my husband, who later went into politics, it took him a while to go into politics and he wanted to be sure that he would be seen as his own man mm. uh, when he went into politics. Mm. Yeah. And you, I mean, you've been married for a long time. You've got the two girls. But a lot of your marriage, you've kind of lived apart yeah. because of just the jobs that you've done. I mean, I can't even imagine how that works. Well, it kind of works because um, you are together as a family and you you want to be a family, which we always wanted. But our path simply took us in different directions sometimes. And I think part of the reason why we actually been, mani- been married for all this time and managed to keep it like our conversation interesting is because we decided to say yes to big to things. To things that come up. Yeah, yeah, to things that come up. I never planned a political career, but I really felt that I wanted to be part of changing my party. And when they, a group of people from the party said, will you do it? Will you stand? I said yes, and that sort of determined our destiny, if you, if you will. It determined our destiny for a very long time. And Steve backed me in that even though it would mean that our family life was completely different. But did you ever think when you were younger, I'm going to be prime minister one day? You know what? I came into politics quite late. Um, I I knew absolutely no politicians. I knew no no one from the Labour movement or Social Democrats as we are in Denmark. I knew absolutely no one. I was completely and utterly unconnected to politics or anyone when I was growing up. Uh, And... It was just because I, I felt I could be part of changing things and I felt that I had a responsibility to do that. And it comes from my childhood. If I came home from school and I complained to my parents about something that I didn't like in school, they would always turn to me and said, what, so what have you tried to do about it? Have you raised your voice? Have you tried to change that in, in your school? And change is my responsibility as well as everyone else's. So that's why I wanted to go into politics. And how much of that was like being a feminist and thinking, well, I can do it. I'm an ambitious woman who's going to be the first female prime minister yeah. of Denmark and I'm going to do things that will help also women, you know. Well, I've been a feminist since before I was political, basically. I've been a feminist since I was 12 uh, and my mum was a feminist as are you well. A, are you, we ask all our guests, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big a feminist are you? Are you 10? Um... 
I don't think anyone is 10, but I, I, I have been, my opinions have been formed by feminism for a very, very long time. And that's also why I went into the social democratic movement, because I fe felt that I could be a feminist in that movement. My mum was a feminist. My mum and dad got divorced when uh, my uh, I was 10 years old. And she always said to me, and I know this sounds so old-fashioned now, she always said to me, you have to be independent uh, of you can't be dependent on a man and a man's salary. You have to be independent. She always told me I had to get a good uh, education and be able to look after myself. And I think that's been something that just I carried with me mm. all the time. And uh, my my father also pushed me. He said when my sister and I were really young, he said, it's so great that one of you can become prime minister. And I don't know why he would say wow. such a thing. <laughs> um, and... Um, <coughs> It's more my, my sister who's older than me, but I think a little voice in my own head was there because my dad thought that we, us girls, could do anything we wanted. How did what the... Is, what does your sister do now? She's a teacher. Okay. Yeah. And how did the divorce affect you? I think it's very hard to be divorced, and uh, I, I know it sounds... For the, for the children. For the children yeah. there, and I, I don't advocate that people should stay together for the sake of the children. I don't advocate for that. I think people should get divorced and I don't think it's a bad thing for children but it was very hard for me because we lived a very cosy life three children my mum and dad I thought we had a great family and uh, then I mean he found someone else that he, he he was in love with and they end up getting married and they decide to get a divorce so it's super hard to get divorced and also uh, we were suddenly alone with my mum in a very small flat uh, my mum slept in the living room we didn't have a car we didn't have a washing machine we didn't have anything um, and uh, she had to also to bring home uh, the, the money to support our family. So I think it taught me a lot, but it also taught me that it's it's hard to be a single mum. And uh, she Do you think that's where some of your mum's feminism of like you should never be dependent on yeah, a man definitely. came from? Yeah, definitely. Her mum was a feminist as well, one of the earliest in, in, in Denmark. So I think it's something that runs in the family. But I also think that it really opened her eyes to how a, a woman needs to work, basically, to support her own family and that she can't be dependent on, on a man. And did you forgive your dad for leaving? Oh yeah, you? I mean, it took me a while to forgive him. Uh, and first, I didn't want to see him and his new wife, but of course, I forgave him. And my mum really encouraged me to forgive him as well. Yeah, that's good. I think forgiveness is a really big thing in human life. That mm. we we make mistakes, we we make big mistakes, but we have to be able to forgive each other. I think forgiveness is a, is actually a big thing. I know I, it's really interesting. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about forgiveness, and this guy, he's like a Tibetan monk was saying that when you can't forgive people, it's basically saying that you haven't gotten over how much they've hurt you. And actually, if you say, I'm forgiving you, I'm over it, it frees you from sort of feeling angry at people still. Yeah, I mean, it's ang such a burden ang to be anger angry and bitterness at people. Is a, are really powerful feelings that can affect your whole body and also, I think, your mental health and maybe even your physical health. So you've got to get rid of it. And also, I left politics now and I try to not interfere <clears throat> in what my party is doing now, how the new leader is running things because I think you can't live with that bitterness and I see so many former leaders of parties and other former leaders who, who walk around with this hatred and bitterness and all these things you should let it go and I think it makes you a nicer um, person who also have have more fun in life mm. you don't you, you do, so, so like you know I know lots of football people <clears throat> including our mutual friend Mr Schmeichel and I've noticed a lot of footballers 
who obviously their careers come to an end much younger than, say, in politics. But a lot of them find it very, very hard mm. not to spend a lot of their time saying how bad today's footballers are. Have you made a deliberate decision yeah. to sort of stay uh, out of the yeah, Danish Yeah, it's funny because I, I got to know quite a few football players lately as well because I'm, I'm, I'm involved with the Danish Football mm. Association and I do a lot of work for, for them or with them. Uh, so I've got to so know... Is that, but just to get that clear, you deal with women's football, not men's football? Everything football right okay. now. I used to do with a lot of women's football because I was chairing this commission that where we tried to push more girls and women into football. Mm -hmm. But now I'm actually dealing with the whole governance of of, of the Danish Football okay, Association, cool. where I'm chairing this committee. And that has brought me into new conversations mm. about the role of football in society and for your national feeling and what positive feeling it, it can give to a nation. Mm. Um, I've got a lot to say about that. But um, what were you asking? What was the original I was asking question? About the thing, no, <laughs> Do you look at the Danish sort of political scene now and, yes, and I judge have, it? Yes, I have actually taken a very conscious decision to stay out of it. Mm. And that was also when I was leader, people also people thought I was too young, I was too inexperienced, I was too maybe... And that, there was a lot of things wrong with me, seen from the, the, the people that had been in leadership. Do you think leadership. they would have cared that much if you were a man? I think there was definitely a gender issue uh, being part of that. You can never prove these things. Gucci but, Heller. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they called was, you Gucci Heller. Uh, yeah, but that was not the former leaders. That was. I quite like that, though. You like it? <laughs> yeah. You should become I, like a musician. I didn't like it so much, much back then because it was, if, it was very much targeted towards yeah. framing me as very much a girl uh, or a woman, uh, but also be try to portray me as a little bit, I don't know, posh or something? And, like, superficial. As superficial and posh like... and, and not deep and intellectual. Yeah, the posh thing was weird because, of course, your background was not posh at all. No, not at all. Uh, oh, Hella, for heaven's sake, turn your oh, phone off. sorry. Is that because you want to do yet another oh, Instagram picture? Stop it. Um, <coughs> no, I, I don't come from a posh no. background at all. Uh, I come from, like, the wrong side of the, the tracks in Copenhagen, the south side, which is... Uh, uh, when I grew up, no-one wants to live there, that's for sure. So I come... I don't come from a posh background at all. I come from a very nice background, and I learned a lot, but it's definitely not posh. Mm. But Gucci Haley was was very, very good name for me because it tried to frame me as also as not being a real social democrat, uh, like I was almost too conservative to be a, a, a real social because democrat. Because you were so glamorous. Yeah, and, and also because I am kind of a right-wing social democrat. I will, I mean, that is true, and, and it sort of matched that uh, my where where would you put yourself on the uh, just for British people? Where would you put yourself on the British political spectrum? Uh, if you got if you yeah. got Johnson here, do you remember a guy called Tony Blair? I remember <laughs> Tony Blair. Yeah. yeah, who's that? Yeah, I mean, I I I think they are most of the things that Tony did and said. Uh, I would actually agree on. Uh, right. So he's probably the politician in the UK that I okay. agree most. And, with. and and how far between him and Jezza would you be? Uh, You're right next to him, and how far away is Jezza, do you think? I mean, I have to say that Jeremy Corbyn is very far away from, from my way of being a social democrat, um, and uh, I think Tony is as well, uh, and I'm much closer to Tony Blair than to mm. Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. And how how hard is it then for for you... You're a member of the Labour Party now, aren't you? I'm not a member of the oh, Labour Party. Oh, I thought you Party. were. No, I'm not. Can you not join, or you've... I can join, but I've chosen not to. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, let's see what happens. Is that orcs? Is that awkward? Not at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, there's, there's so you, many... Were you a member? 
No, I've never been a member oh, of, the, of the British Labour Party. Okay. I'm a member of my own party at, yeah. uh, back in, in Denmark, but I never joined the, the Labour Party. Uh, and I probably would if I agreed more with the leader, but mm. I don't. But you agree with the member for Aberavon? Oh, definitely. About actually. everything, presumably. Not everything. Well, uh, I, I hope you don't support his confused position on a second referendum, Helen. I, I support everything that he says about How much? the <laughs> EU. No, I, I very much... I mean, there's so many of the, of the Labour backbenchers that I agree with. I mean, I I think there's enormous, a fantastic history in the Labour movement, the Labour Party. I just, there's so many things where I don't agree, agree with the current leadership of the Labour Party. I have to be honest. Mm. Um, and it's a little bit too left wing for me. And uh, so I didn't Do you think that might ch- change soon after the election? Do you think Labour can win the election? <laughs> Do I have to answer that? Mm, well, that's an answer of sorts. Um, <laughs> Okay, look, on a scale of one to ten, I think it would be. I don't think Boris Johnson is a very good prime minister. It's awful. So I think they would be winnable um, yeah. in the UK. So and, and if we had, anyway, I'm not going further into that. Yeah. Just about, briefly on football, on a scale of one to ten, and bear in mind we've had conversations about football before you became involved. So I may have things to throw back And were you not very interested you. then? Wait a minute. On a scale of one to ten, how big a football fan are you? Um, well, I've, dis- I've discussed that a lot with myself because I love to watch football. I always love to watch football. And Steve, you know, is very interested in football. And you and I watch football together. We three of us have. So I love to watch football. But I don't know enough about football to do, like, I couldn't com- be a commentary on a football match. I couldn't do that. So, as n- so I don't know that much. But I find it fascinating. But what I find particularly fascinating is how football has the capacity to change so much. Mm. I mean, I've seen... And bring people together. And bring people together. I've seen my own daughters uh, going to... I mean, they, they, they've they played football when they were kids. I mean, Camilla played a lot of football. She played football for four years or something. I was standing watching her uh, in her games. And I've seen the Danish uh, women's uh, national football team, how they have changed perception of football for girls. I just like the power of football Mm. um, and how much you can change a nation and how you see yourself and what you're proud of. And that's why I've decided to to work with the Danish Football Association Mm. to be able to ask those questions about governance in football. And what is that? That's our ethics, that's gambling, that is... uh, uh, doping in football, uh, head injuries, um, and how football is part of a uh, greater community. And one of the big things that we've been discussing, or two of the big things, is racism in football and, uh, you know defending gay rights in football. So there are so many issues mm. that I want to be part of pushing into football. I'm so happy that the Danish Football Association have asked me to be part of that. OK, well, I'll just, I'll just take that and as what, a... what does that mean? I'll take that as a very long apology for the time when you told me I was utterly obsessed with my ridiculous football team. Well, but that wasn't about football. That was your teammate. <laughs> and my prioritisation So on a scale of one to ten, how much of a football fan would you say you are? Uh, I think I put myself as a seven. Yeah, I'm here in yeah. seven. I'm here in um, seven. Yeah. Um, and so, wait, you mentioned racism in football. Is that in Denmark specifically? Uh, there have been racism, but I think it's more here, actually. Right. Uh, but also you see the international matches where you see mm. racism in football. Uh, I want uh, yeah, FIFA and UEFA to, to really mark that and do something about it. What um, can you do, I, though? It's, it's like, you know, recently... No, you can do a lot. You can punish uh, the fans. 
Uh, you can yeah. uh, move the games to other uh, places. Uh, I think there's a lot you can do. And also you can target the National Football Association if mm. they're not doing enough about mm. it mm. Uh, and ask them to really react to these things when it's racism or homophobia in football. I think you can do a lot. Late, the latest great example of what FIFA can be, can do and also from pressure from the National Football Associations is for example, in Iran, women were not allowed to mm. watch mm. football matches there and finally got allowed to watch a national uh, mm. game. And that was because FIFA put a pressure on the, yeah. on the Iranian football association so that is what i mean about ethics and governance in football and i love to be part of that conversation because i strongly believe that football can change and it's the a world. reflection of the wider society exactly racism yeah. and homophobia because, because denmark still has an image of of being a pretty nice progressive yeah. progressive yeah. but you do have a problem with the with the kind of racist right don't you I, I don't. I'm, racism is a problem in danish football i think homophobia, no, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about society more broadly now uh I don't know if we got a specific problem about racism. <clears throat> what about the hard right? Well, the hard right is shrinking to a large degree. I mean, they got half to the last, mm. uh, last uh, election. I mean, I wouldn't call them a hard right, but they are a right-wing party, which in particular in other countries have been associated with racism. I don't think they're that racist. I mean, okay. there are racist elements. I yeah. don't think Denmark is a particularly racist country, well, but there is racism. And one of the issues that I regret... Yeah, there's always stuff you regret that you should have put more emphasis on. I used to for a long time think that there was not racism in Denmark. And I be, and I said that a lot. I realised that there is racism and I have to understand that better. Why do you think you didn't see that? Because um, maybe I didn't talk to enough people that were experiencing racism. I felt it was a very good thing that you discuss... You know, the culture clash that can come from a Muslim community coming into a country which is basically not used to a Muslim community. I think that it's great to discuss those things and also dis discuss those things in a quite robust way so you don't hide those discussions. The worst thing that can happen in society is that you hide things. And I don't want to be one of those people that every time someone says something where they don't understand the Muslim community, you call them a racist. I hate that. Uh, and you call them bigots and racists. So I don't want to be part of that shouting match where you call people racist. But I do think that you, there, there, there are still racism and it has to be dealt with. And I understood that too late, I think. Can I just, um, on football, you, you, when Burnley first got promoted uh, to the Premier League, uh, we had a oh. Danish player in the squad. I'd like to know his name. I can't remember. God. Oh, that's podcast. so harsh. This yeah. podcast. You've met him. You've met him. You've met him. You've met him. I'm sure you I told have. me. Brian Jensen, otherwise known as oh, the yes. Beast. I know the Brian the Beast. <laughs> I know. I know him. <laughs> I don't actually. It's funny that you talk about Brian the Beast because I sat next to his wife at a dinner recently. She was we an air stewardess. We she is an air stewardess. She still. She still is. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't know that, Alistair. I did know that. Oh, she worked right. on Monarch Airlines. There was yes, something I did. That, there was no, something else I didn't knew know. that she was. I was asking yeah. if she still is. She okay. is. She's in East okay. now, Alistair. You have to cut okay. this out of the yeah. podcast. Uh, but that was a I, very boring piece I of information. I have never met him, but I met his oh, wife. And met I, okay. I, had a, I had a laugh with his wife the other day at a party. Yeah, good. So why is it that like Denmark and other Scandinavian countries are much more progressive on gender and equality between the sexes and whatever? Um, I'm not so sure that they 
are. I mean, but it's sort of see. That's what you always, you yeah. know, when people always compare those countries to us in terms of like matern- maternity split, paternity leave. And... Yeah, we've we've kind of come a far long way on on those issues. But one of the issues that I'm involved with right now is so to get more women to join boards. Uh, public boards and private boards, like any boards, basically. And I just look at the figures for Denmark uh, recently, and we're actually going backwards on, wow. on that. Uh, and and it's not very good in this country I, either. So one of my, I've started this company that want that want to make a complete list of women who are capable and ready, um, and have the, all the qualification to join uh, boards in Denmark. So I'm hoping that that will mean that we will change this trend, that we are going the wrong way. But And I do think, of course, we are progressive in many areas, but we're not as progressive as we should be. And uh, in some areas, we're actually going the wrong way. When you were Prime Minister, was there a lot of sort of treatment that felt, I don't know, that people were p- quite patronising towards you and that you felt really aware of the fact that you were a woman? I have come to the view that being a woman in politics or any time a woman tried to conquer a new post that no, where no woman has, has been, I really think that it's a very hard thing to do. And I've come to the view that to be a female trying to reach for those posts is, is very, very hard. We saw it with Hillary Clinton. It was very, very hard, and I think part of it was that because she was a woman. So I've seen it used against me many, many times, the fact that I was a woman. My voice was wrong. I was interrupting people too much. Mm. I looked the wrong way. I had the wrong handbags. I had the wrong hair. I had everything wrong with me. So I do think that it's, it's an enormous factor, and it's also a factor that you can't t- talk about because it makes you look like a, a victim, and also a factor that is so unconscious in all our heads, not only men, but also women. Last week we, were t- we talked to Julia Gillard and she was saying that she fi- she thinks that Jessica Arden is is showing that it can be done in a different way. And I don't know what she meant by that, but I wonder whether maybe the fact that you and Julia and Theresa May and others have gone through it, whether it becomes easier for women now or not. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope that uh, when lots of different women... Mm. go into politics and uh, I tried to make sure that I never I never had a stylist <coughs> I tried to make sure that I was myself all the way through um, Angela even... Merkel has a stylist um, does she? yes okay. yeah she does yeah. Yeah. to make sure she looks the same yeah, yeah, but I made sure that I didn't look the same um, Gucci uh, and I also took I became more free in my expression when I became Prime Minister as opposed to when I was the leader of opposition. I always had my hair up. I would never come in and have long gold nails. Mm. But back Today, then, I must say, yeah. Helen's got gold sparkly acrylic exactly. nails. Exactly. So I, I became more myself uh, the more power I got. And I thought that was also to show people that you can do those things. It wasn't as conscious as I'm talking about it now, but it was very important to me to actually show mm. that you can have that long hair and nails and a dress, even though you are uh, in power. So I feel that a variety of us have to do, we have to look different. We don't have to all fit into the same mould. We have to look different because we are different. You, you bonded with Merkel, didn't you? As a, yeah, was that Was that a woman thing or was that... I mean, there was. There's always something between the the German Chancellor and the Danish Prime Minister. We are we're neighbouring countries. There's a lot of culture that binds us together. So I think it, we, it was always going to be a close relationship. But there was also a female thing. And I remember meeting um, uh, Chancellor Merkel in 
in the bathroom, actually. Uh, one of the first meetings where I went to the European Council. I mean, there are so many meetings in the mm. European Council. I went to the, one of the first meetings and we met over the, when we were washing our hands. Um, and she's, Was it just you two? Yes, us two in the bathroom. There weren't that many women uh, in that <laughs> meeting because not, not many women are prime ministers. So it was just us two washing our hands and we discussed something that was taking place in the meeting. I think it actually was the European budget or something. And uh, I was lobbying for something. And she said, times had changed. Now the women the women are doing their political talks in the, yeah. in the loo. So yeah. I thought that was a funny thing to say and it was quite a, it was quite true and it was a very nice thing to happen. What do you think is going to happen with Europe when she goes? She's such a big figure in the European debate. Uh, she has been a very powerful figure and a very strong figure, I think, for European integration over the last many, many years. I really enjoyed working with her because what is so special about her, and many German chancellors before her as well, has to be said, that they don't try to always put German interest mm. first. They have been, they've been, they're very clear that German interest is European interest. So they try to make Germany a little bit smaller and make Europe bigger. Mm. And that is why I admire a lot of German chancellors for actually having that capacity. Well, that's what's so awful about the way the Brexiteers portray... Germany is trying to control the whole of Europe. And yeah, it's quite wrong because I actually feel that if Germany wanted to make themselves bigger, they could, mm. but they're making themselves smaller in order to make Europe more powerful. And what the UK, of course, is doing these years is making itself smaller at the global stage. Mm. Uh, the Americans are doing the same. They're making America smaller uh, by putting America first. So there's something very powerful in taking the European interest and then accepting maybe we don't always have to be a big power player mm. in, in Europe. I was always super impressed by how Merkel actually how she uses her power because mm. she doesn't use all those masculine power symbols that we know so well, you know, those nasty power mansplaining symbols. Yeah. And mansplaining interrupting. and interrupting and all yeah. those things. She uses her power in a much soft, softer way and that's actually a symbol of how Germany uses her power as well. Is power as well. But what about in, in Denmark? Is, that, is there that same sort of very European before Denmark attitude? Uh, I mean, I think that the attitude towards Europe is definitely changing in the rest of, of Europe. This is completely overlooked in the in the British debate that whilst the, the Brits have had this agonizing discussion about how to make themselves as small as possible in the in <laughs> Europe, um, I think the the notion about the, or the how we understand Europe has changed completely in the 27 other member states. We have record-breaking support for the European Union in Denmark right now. We are in the 60s of people who wants to be a member of the European wow. Union. And the same is the case, maybe not 60s, but the same is the case... But it's gone in, up in most parts. In most Brexit. most European countries, it's gone up. Yeah, well, I we're think making Italy, it look. Italy is the only outlier in this. So since the Brexit vote, the support for the European Union amongst its public in the European Union member states have gone up considerably, and I think that's quite interesting. What, 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 how have you? I mean, because you, you live most of your time here now, yeah. Yeah, I live. Yeah, I live in London. Yeah. I mean, how how have you felt as a sort of seasoned politician watching the Brexit debate and what it says about? And what do you think it says about Britain? I mean, I love this country. I I love the culture, the language, the nature, um, the sense of humour. I love this country, and I love the people here. And I I move around a lot. I, I go to Wales. I live in London, so I feel that I know the country quite well. And I've had uh, British friends as long as I can remember, including you two. So I love this country, but I do think that this 
this move towards making yourself smaller in the world is very, very sad. And it, it's, it's splitting the country. I'm seeing a country where it feels so split between young and old, between graduates and non-graduates, between people who live in London and the rest of the country. There's still a class divide in this country. So there's so many things that where we're not connected. And the biggest loss is uh, the loss of the art of compromise uh, mm. uh, in this country. Compromising, meeting in the middle. Compromise has become a dirty word. And I think that will affect the British democracy for many, many years because you can't have democracy if you're not capable of compromising and if you don't respect the minority. And what really went wrong after the, uh, the Brexit uh, vote was that the minority of the 48% was never properly respected because, of course, they have rights as well. The majority won, but the 48% has rights as well and they have a right to be heard. Mm. But why? Because it is so extreme that, you know, you're, I love the way you're explaining it as us making ourselves smaller but really to them it feels like we're making ourselves bigger how are they that deluded it's sort of like a body dysmorphia that they think in minimizing our strength in europe we're going to become a bigger country how do they think that i i think it's a very natural thing to to think that if you can control if you don't give up sovereignty then you become stronger but Actually, if we look at all the problems that we want to solve, what are the big problems that we want to solve? There's climate change, our external borders, uh, maybe a new financial crisis. Terrorism. Uh, poverty. Terrorism, po poverty, inequality. Terrorism, cybercrime. If Healthcare. we look at all those big problems that we want to solve globally, they cannot be solved if we don't have a strong European Union. That means that we have to give up a little bit of our sovereignty to solve the big problems. But I can easily understand how that logic wouldn't uh, appeal to everyone. But is the attitude, because I find that so interesting that since the referendum, <coughs> the support for the EU across Europe has grown. Is that because they see us as sort of like arrogant idiots who I guess are learning no, from. No, I think they, they, it's more that they just see that it's really difficult and also it's made people reflect more on the positives which but, but, normally but, weren't but, articulated. But don't you think we do look like quite arrogant from the outside? I think we look utterly dysfunctional. I, I don't know about arrogant. I think you're more confused and arrogant, I would say, and not quite knowing what what aspirations there are for the for, for the UK. The UK is a great country. It belongs in the heart of the European Union, I feel. Uh, and what I think people are looking at the UK a little bit bewildered and saying, mm. why would they not be part of actually playing a leading role in this European Union? We're the big, biggest market uh, in the world. We have the second biggest currency in the world. Uh, we are a very important uh, power in any aspect of the world if we want to be why would the UK not wish to be part of that but I also do think that us who have argued for remain and who feels that the UK should remain we need to have a respect for all the people who, who didn't want to, to stay in the European Union and really understand why was that and I mm -hmm. had a chance to also discuss with a lot of people who didn't want to start uh, to to stay to remain and we have I wish there mm -hmm. had been a more fruitful discussion be between remain and leave three years ago yeah do, do, when I was in Denmark recently and I was really struck by how many Danes sort of feel that they will lose something by Britain going because you've always had that special closeness and you're almost just like you're losing one of your best big 
your big best friends from yeah. that debate. No, I, I felt that as well. Um, I always, I mean, I worked very well with David Cameron, as you know, Alistair. <laughs> Alistair didn't like it. Um, <laughs> the famous picture. Yeah. Uh, so we'll worked, come on yeah, to that, come, Grace. We'll come so on to that. I worked very well with... Have you kept all the texts I used to say about your fondness for Dave? No, no, Alistair, I have not kept all your texts. I hate to <laughs> be disappoint di- you. They'll be in I my diaries one day. You. And I haven't written she's, anything about my diaries. It's Yeah. I have not. So, no, I always worked well with 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 the UK and the the British Prime Minister, and I think Dane, Danes feel that we have worked very mm. well with the UK. We came into the European Union together, uh, and uh, but the point, the fact is that UK have only been sixty percent members of the European Union for many many years, and have not played the leading role that actually belongs to a great nation. Do you think like we could have done more when Tony was prime? Do you think we could have done more to one to integrate more, but also actually to to persuade the British that this actually was much more in our national interest? I think you did a lot, and I admire Tony Blair for being a European at the same time being the British Prime Minister. No one ever doubted that his, I mean, his his patriotism or the love for his country or he wants to make the UK smaller by being a European at the same time. This is a guy who actually dared speaking French as well. So I think... <laughs> was that you that taught him French? No, his uh, French no, is not that yeah, good. No. But anyway, he was a European and he, he yeah. talked about Europe in a very positive way. And I felt it is... I. The scepticism towards Europe comes towards the fact that the, the Tory party have laid their own internal problems on the whole nation mm. for about 20 years. I mean, their internal conflicts have become the nation's Absolutely. internal conflict. And so I think we can't, we can't take, you can't, you shouldn't take the blame okay. for that. You and can what, take the blame for a lot of <coughs> okay, other things, you. but not that. And what about, uh, what do you make of Johnson as our prime minister? I mean, I find one of the most laughable propositions of all time, but it, I just wonder what your view is from... from because you were you in, den, in Brussels when he was a journalist there? No, no, I, I might have been. I don't know him at all. I never met him. Um, and, and I don't trust him because I actually do think that he had a time in his life where he didn't mind uh, Europe. So I think his, his position on Europe is extremely tactical and uh, thereby being populist because he's just going where he thinks he where he thinks he can win elections so i don't actually think that he's a true anti-european and i think that makes it uh, it's just it's, you're just a fraud then aren't you mm. really it's dishonest yeah yeah um, how much is Borgen like what your life was, <laughs> was like as the Prime Minister? Did you watch it? Yeah, I did watch it. I'm, I'm, the funny thing about Borgen... Just tell me one thing. Did you ever have an affair with your driver? No, I didn't. Uh, no, <laughs> good, I didn't. I, I really did not. Um, and um, it was funny about Borgen because they interviewed me. Be- this was before I became Prime Minister. I was leader of the opposition, so there was, I mean, there was a chance I could win. So they interviewed me about what was life like and blah, blah. So they, there was an inspiration from my life into the into the show. And, of course, I watched it, the, the programme, and that was just around the time where we actually won the election. Because so by uh, that, when they were making it, there had never been a female no, Prime Minister. No, no, that's right. why it was fun. So they were wishing you into existence, They're Kind basically. of, yeah. But I stopped watching. I got so tired 
when they got the divorce and she had an affair with her driver and the daughter became had a, a mentally ill or something mm. like that. Then I got so angry. So I met the author of the show and said, why did that have to happen? Why did all these bad things have to happen? And so he he sat me down, he explained to me that this is fiction. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I was you like, you were, were you worried? Yeah. Were you worried that he was predicting your future? But, uh, I think it was very good for, for Denmark as a brand uh, mm. because I have not met anyone, any political leader in Africa or Japan or anywhere in the world where they have not mentioned Borgen. So it's been amazing and for our Danish brand. TV as well. And Danish I mean, TV. So it's been Danish amazing British. for our brand. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm very I'm, happy I'm, with the series. I, yeah. I, yeah. I met her with the, great the spin doctor. Um, she's called Sisa... Yeah, Sisa Bebert Knudsen. Knudsen. Yeah. And then the yeah. guy who played Kesper. Yeah. I met him. She was. She seemed to me to have no politics at all. It was all about the role. He he'd become very political. I think. Yeah, I think. I mean, I spoke to him about it as well, and I think he got into politics. Um, and some of them Via they do. the show. Yeah, basically. I guess I don't actually know, but it's it's hard not to get into yeah. politics when you do that kind of. Show. I remember saying to her, "What was your most? What were the most important relationships?" And then I remember she said she talked about. I found the relationship with the room so important. <laughs> and I thought, like, because she's an actress, she was thinking as an actress as yeah. opposed to, you know, the relationships that in politics, which are much more, I think, about human to human. Yeah, but I do think that if you are an actor and you suddenly stand in those rooms, sort of yeah. quite grand rooms where power, where that has a lot of power in yeah. them just by the and room. And you're supposed to possess yeah, that Yeah, then I think you take from the room or you yeah. take from that room of power and become maybe look more powerful on the yeah. screen. Now, Hello, you and I both have the great privilege, pleasure and honour of, of meeting Nelson Mandela several times. Now, I didn't go to his funeral. But had I gone to his funeral, <laughs> I don't think I would have done any selfies. Oh, I think you, I'd have, I think I'd have oh, just been very... I think you would oh, have that, to yeah, be Of course fair. I would. Cause you're, oh, you're let me talk you through. Let me talk. You're so curious. I'll talk yeah. you through that. First of all, it wasn't his funeral. It was like a memorial celebration. Where was it? It was in an enormous stadium. I think it was a football stadium or yeah. rugby stadium. It was an enormous stadium. And people were like, it was like a party because people were <laughs> drumming and they were shouting. And you know... Uh, was this the one where there was the guy pretending to the, do the, the, the sign language? language yeah. yeah. It was a crazy thing. I came in and I came with our crown prince uh, at that. Uh, yeah, he's still our crown prince. I came in with my crown prince and I was kind of expected to look after him. Uh, and the problem was there was no seated, uh, there was no reserved seats. Non-ticketed event. No. So you went and you just had to find a seat. I got my, I got lost from the crown prince. So already there, I, I failed. Uh, and then I came in and I saw there was two seats that were reserved. And what next to that, there was another seat. Uh, so I think, oh, I'll just sit here. And then there was no one sitting in those two seats that were reserved. So I sat there and it turned out they were uh, reserved for Michelle and Barack. Um, oh, it wasn't even Cameron's seat. Cameron's... He sat in Michelle Obama's seat. No, no, seat. no, no. Let me get back no, to your Dad, friend no, Dave. Get, no, get, get back to that. <laughs> and then, of course, when Barack is in the room, everyone comes to talk to him. So I suddenly, suddenly sat in like the fun. You, you fun knew part. him prior. To yeah, this, yeah, I knew yeah. him. Yeah, so I was very happy that it actually turned out that I was next to him. <laughs> but I didn't know when I sat down. And then people came over to talk to to them and take pictures. And there was a lot of pictures being taken. I didn't take any pictures. I just sat next to the guy and talked to him. And I had just learned from Johanna, my oldest daughter, to take a selfie. So I said to him, I just learned this. Should we take a selfie? 
And so who, how did David and Cameron who, get in? Who muscled in at right that time? Dave. Suddenly I looked to my right hand side and there was David Cameron. There was the boiled egg. Yeah, so he wanted to be in the selfie. <laughs> and they were both quite keen because selfie was quite a new thing by then. It wasn't even, mm. loads of people didn't know what it was. So I took this selfie and it was quite a nice moment at that time. What we didn't realize, what that there was, of course, people filming that we took. But also, that, wasn't that's, it that's that Michelle... The thing that they were filming, the no, American president it, and the British and Danish wasn't prime Wasn't it that Michelle Obama was sitting on the edge, sort of left out? Yeah. No, she wasn't. Yeah, but I she mean, looks like, in the picture well, you know, of you guys, she, she looked really no, she angry. Didn't. She but didn't. that was why it got shared, I swear. No, it, she didn't. <laughs> I mean, everyone's got... You know how it is, a picture gets taken and yeah. you don't look like... You're not smiling... If you're not smiling, you look like you are not happy. She was perfectly happy. And right after that, Barack went down to do his speech, the one that got translated in a weird way. And I had a very nice chat with Michelle that no one filmed. So you can just stop that, you two. I'm not starting anything. I love the drama. It was very. It was, it was a good really, picture. It was a nice picture. It was picture. a really good picture. Well, have you seen the picture? No, you're, the, the selfie was a nice picture. Have you seen my selfie? Yes. Did I show it to you? Yes. Right. Did you ever post it? <laughs> I actually put it in my book. I put it in my book uh, on the back back uh, page of that uh, oh, that's book. Good. It's a funny picture. It's not very good. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell <laughs> you, you one thing. David didn't look amazing in that picture. No, he, no, he never does. Uh, Barack, obviously, he looked good. He always does. Mm. And I looked okay. <laughs> Let's do your dream six aside. Oh, my teams dream six aside. To change the I world. Have to, I have to. You have so been could rushed. you explain the rules to me again? So, three men, three women. Dead or alive. And am I in. Oh, they could be dead or alive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't get told about that. Uh, Hello. I can show you that text as well. No, I you, keep my texts. No, I, you cannot show me that because it doesn't exist. It does. I said dead so, or alive. Yeah, I love you too. Um, <laughs> so, what. So Why dead don't you or alive, kill dad and then put him in? <laughs> I mean, Alistair's dying to be in this team. But yeah, he, I know, he never gets picked. He's Hello. not He's not in this team. He never gets no. picked. So am I in this team myself? You know the reason no, he loves cap- doing this is because one day he hopes he'll uh, be picked. One of the six. Yeah. No, no, you're not. He's got six as well as you. You're, no, the, you're, the, you're... you're the guy. Okay. You're the main Cle- guy. Clearly, then... I haven't been explained this very well. Yeah. Uh, now that I can get dead or alive, I think I'll take Nelson Mandela. It'd be yeah. quite nice to have, yeah. have him Most on that do. team. Yeah, but it would be really nice. I think I'll take... Barack Obama as well. Mm-hmm. That okay, would be so uh, quite well. uh, quite cool. The selfie. And um, I think I'll take Stephen Kinnock. Mm. Okay. My own husband. Okay, so Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, and Stephen Kinnock—they're the yeah. three men on the team. It's quite strong. That's quite strong. Well, isn't yeah, it? that's good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's look at the women then. My yeah, female side. And I just worked out that I'm number seven, so I'm not in the. You're the captain. I'm the You're the leader. Yeah. So I'm going to take Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. She's proven she can work with Barack Obama, so that should be good. Uh, then I'm going to take uh, Chimamanda Adichie. Adichie. Sorry, I can pronounce the name properly. And I'm going to take Greta Thunberg. Yeah, and good. We, we have to travel to her because... You travel to her. Or you yeah. FaceTime Greta. Yeah, maybe she can be on FaceTime. Yeah. Or you go to her. Yeah. <laughs> Where she's, is she she's now? Been, she's been good for the Scandinavian brand, hasn't she? She's been great. She's great. She's great not only for the Scandinavian brand. She's great for the world, mm. I think. And She really is. Um, I wonder what she'll go on to do. It's a hard burden on her shoulders, mm. isn't it? Um, and she's just a young... I know. Well, a woman, young it's woman. It's only just over a year that she started this. I know. Project. You have to You sort of feel like her yeah. childhood's being taken away yeah, from her. Yeah, I feel that, and that's what she feels as well. And I saw some great interviews with her about, yeah, how she's gone into this. And she's, I mean, you have to admire... Have her. you met her? 
No, I haven't met her. I'd be so interested yeah. to meet her. Can we get on the podcast, Grace? Yeah, let's try. We have to go to her, though. Yeah, we'll go by boat. Go by train. I'm actually flying to Norway tomorrow. She's sweet. Good to know, Alistair. I yeah. know that, Grace. I know. I know that. I'm, from this, I'm talking about the fact that I'm... But she was stuck in America, wasn't she? And then she was trying to get people to fly her back. Can I have my glasses back, please, Hella? <laughs> She's on Instagram. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, you're Instagramming was, a picture of my glasses. I was checking why I couldn't pronounce the name. When did this Instagram obsession start? <laughs> You know what? He just doesn't get it, so he is angry at anyone who does get it. He uses Twitter fluently and he cannot work out. Fluently? Is it language? Fluently. You do. You're very fluent on Twitter. You cannot function on Instagram. You can't even follow people. I don't understand. I'm rubbish. You can do it on Twitter. So it's that thing of like, you say you can't do it. Do you know we haven't had a single episode of this podcast where she hasn't slagged me off? Yeah, but likewise. It's easy to do, (laughs) Alistair. Yeah, you're a very easy target. You're very easy target. For a lazy person, yeah. you're just it's the easiest just target easy, of the yeah. world. Yeah. You can just sit back blah, and relax. Blah, blah, just sit back and relax and slack off Alistair. It's so blah, easy. Blah. Now, listen, you cho- why did you- tell me why you chose Steve. I know he's your husband, but that's not a good enough reason. I, I mean, I like Steve's brain. Mm-hmm. Um, do you I, confide in him? Politi- like, Do you confide in each other a lot? Yeah, a lot. I mean, we are each other's best friend. We've been together for like a very, very long time. And uh, I like how his brain works. I like how, how he writes. Uh, he's very logical in the way, way he thinks. And he just got this sense of fairness that I really, really like and a lot of respect for for what you would call ordinary people. I mean, he loves his constituency. He loves to talk to people there. The friends we made in Port Talbot and Aberavon. I mean, I just like his respect for, for people who don't think the same as him or don't have the same outlook as, as him. He's got He's very respectful towards people. Do, do you think it, it was hard for him that he had... And he knows a lot about the world because this is a yeah, global yeah, he's been team. Around, yeah. And he knows a lot about the world. He knows a lot about Russia, and uh, he speaks all these languages. I just think he'd be nice to have on, mm-hmm. on my team. Do you think he was affected by the fact that you were, you know, prime minister? Yeah. Well, also, wait a minute. You had his son dad, of, son of famous politician, <laughs> yeah. wife of famous yeah. politician. I know. And when we met Stephen and I back in '92, this is a long time ago. Uh, none of us expected the other to go into politics. I mean, mm. I let alone become prime minister. I wasn't a politician. I wasn't even a member of the party by, uh, wow. back then. So it wasn't. It was completely unexpected. So we weren't like two power people no. who met. We were just two very young people who met and really liked each other. And clearly, you had sort of positive influence on each other. I think though. so. But also, we had we developed this philosophy without actually ever talking about it that we would say yes to things and dare things and push ourselves out of our comfort zone and do things even though they were hard and difficult and we managed to make it work and uh, I think people if if someone had told Steve back then that I would become prime minister and go into I politics maybe he would have turned around I don't know do you think so I don't know <laughs> it's possible it's possible, possible yeah mm. yeah but yeah. he didn't, and he didn't. I like that philosophy of saying yes to things, even if it means. I think you have to say yes, even though you are in a partnership where you can't. You have to say yes to thing and be free mm-hmm. to say yes to thing, and you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And he definitely also encouraged me to push myself out of the comfort zone because that's how we roll. And was there no part of you when when you were prime minister? Was there no part of you that thought, okay, I know we had that agreement that you do this and I do that, but. I'm the Prime Minister now and I really kind of feel I'm going to need your support even more than ever and therefore I think we should just settle in Denmark and for the for the period because he, he was off doing his what was he where was he then he was at uh, he was in Davos. in, in, Gene- in, oh, Geneva, in Geneva most of, most of the time yeah in uh, in uh, he was World in Geneva most Forum. of the time so I really feel that 
Um, he supported me as best as he could. He came home over the weekends. He took over a lot. He was always there as my best friend. He did support me. So it would have been nice sometimes, of course, to live together and he could have done more of the housekeeping and stuff like that. But I feel that we always supported each other in whatever choice we, we have made. And I think if you want to have a partnership where you say yes to things and you dare things, you can't expect your partner to completely adapt to that. Mm. Uh, of course, he adapted a lot and it was a big sacrifice for him in many ways because it affects the whole family. Politics is so And also the press went for him. Yes, of course. In a big yeah, way. yeah, it went for him in a big way. So it did affect him. And I, I can't say that, for example, when the press started going after him, it wasn't like the most amazing time in our relationship either because people get affected by this and they mm. get we get annoyed but that it also makes it very powerful to get go through, through. those times mm. and uh, but that, that the, the thing i was thinking of particularly there was there was when there was all that stuff about his he was avoiding tax yeah and yeah was all those inquiries. Wasn't. i know he wasn't and the inquiries yeah. cleared him and all that but that felt like because remember we came out to see you at that point and that felt yeah, well, like... Were we in a glorious mood? No, it felt like the pressures were, were pretty yeah. grim. And it was also at a time when Fiona and I were not really... Yeah. God, it sounds a, like a fun dinner in a party. Great, wasn't yeah. it? You, you were there. You were, there was a circular swimming yeah. pool. Yeah, oh, I remember we, that. We, yeah. we always managed to have fun together, even though things were not great. And that's that's also great if you can share with other families uh, yeah. how, that, that things are not great. And that's why I will never sit here in your beautiful studio doing a <laughs> podcast saying how glorious it was and how we were always thought that we were like really on the same path and being a beautiful partnership because it's hard. Mm. Politics is hard. Uh, but I also think there's something amazing about doing it um, and going through it as a family and then coming through it. Mm. And it makes you stronger in a way mm. Mm. to do those kind of things and have been to those extreme moments uh, where you have to sit the whole family down and say, the papers are saying that this has happened and we're like this. And you don't actually recognize the picture that the papers or the media is mm. portraying of you mm. as a family. Well, you've got two wonderful girls. Daughters, yes. yes, and they are the best thing you've ever made. <laughs> thank you. They um, are amazing. They are. I love no. them. Thank you, dears. Mm. I'll come here thank more. Thank you. Often. <laughs> well, thank you for coming thank on. Thank you. I think we've asked you everything we wanted yeah. to. Yeah. And we we're have to very wrap up well. We'll now. put it. You know, you're obviously not as important as you were. Well, we'll, we'll find a time. We'll find a slot at <laughs> our busy time. No, we're going to put it out this week. Well, not all of us are important as we used to be. Alex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am. For the record, well, she tapped my knee and saying that. I think that could be classified as sexual harassment, but I won't make a complaint. Fucking hell. Grace is very important and she's the future. So, so are your daughters. Yeah. So that was very interesting, Dad. I loved the bit where she was talking about how she got so invested in Borgen that she actually got angry that they'd written... They gave the daughter a hard time. And also that she'd been having an affair. Do you think she felt sort of personally vindicated? I don't know. But it Sounds must... like she did. It's quite hard. It's quite hard. I remember... When it was out, and also because I, I, I met the, the actress who played her and the guy who played the spin actor. Right. big deal. No, but the point is that it became a really, really big cultural thing. Mm. So if you're the Prime Minister, I, I remember at that time, for Hella, more people around the world were talking about the fictional Danish Prime Minister than the than real her, one. yeah. Now, obviously, in Denmark it wasn't the same. Because so it's rare that those shows come out at exactly the same time where there is a truthful element to it. You know, like House of Cards wasn't really happening at the same time because that was coming out when Obama was president. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, and like The Crown, for example, mm. that's not coming out 
at the same time no, as no, the no, Queen no, no, doing what yeah. he's what she's doing. So it must have been quite weird. She probably felt competitive with that character. Yeah, and also I think that that I think there was a point at which it became. That's the probably just get a little bit too close. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. So it was good even to, in it the was, thick of it that happened. Yeah, it was good to hear she didn't have an affair with the driver. Well, I like that thing of her saying that there should be a wide range of women in politics. Like, so you should be able to get your nails done and get mm. your eyelashes done and get your hair blow dried and wear nice clothes if you want. We don't mm. all have to look like Angela Merkel and you know have like a quite basic um, mm. style look. look and style. You can be, you know, glam. glamorous. And what I like that it inspires young women yeah. to think, oh yeah, I can like, you know get a boob job if I want and also be the Prime Minister one day. Not saying that Helen's had a I boob job. I do worry job, that. But... It's funny, this morning I was uh, doing some TV on the Prince Andrew thing as a, you know, well-known royal crisis manager. Yeah, And I was doing the Philips... Why were you doing that? I don't know. Doing the Philips you just Schofield. Love, you just love I don't being really, on telly. I don't love being you on telly. You love it. I don't. Why were you doing that? Because I wanted to keep myself out there to talk about the election as well. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. You'll yeah, use any politics. opportunity. If you were asked to talk about, like, a dog show... No. Would you be like, yeah, you know what, because at least then I could no, talk about the No, only if I could talk about vote. Sky, my dog. Yeah. You, you, you wrote an article about Sky. I did. So the, the, the thing that I was interested in is that, I mean, right, she doesn't have a vote here, but it didn't sound very keen on Jezza, does she? No. Love Steve. Well, Steve's her husband. That's good. Yeah, but a lot of wives don't wouldn't pick their husbands in their sixty side team. That's true. She didn't. It sounded very genuine to me. That is true. Um, but this election is leaving me really cold. And you know what? In our street, where we live, there's no posters. There's one post. There's two posters I've seen around the area, and I've seen three notices of missing kittens. So there are more notices of missing kittens than there are. What does that posters. say about the state of the country? Do you it think the kittens? That uh, being stolen because people are so broke. Do you think the kittens are running away because they hate Boris Johnson? I don't know. What do you think the cats are trying to tell us? Well, I, think, I think the cats are trying to tell us that they're, they're loved by their owners and when they go missing, the owners get really upset. Mm. Whereas the owners are not that excited about, about the general election. Well, it's because no one wanted it. No, no. And it should, we shouldn't be having it. And I do think Joe Swinson and the SNP and Jeremy Corbyn, I think they'll be regretting that they fell into the Johnson trap of having it. Over and out. Over and out. Thank you very much for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, listen to the podcast, listen to all of the episodes, tell all of your friends at school. Thank you. You sounded really bored there. Huh? You sounded really bored. When? When you said that. No, I like that tone that I do. <laughs> Here's to our local independent businesses. For the last few months, they have been adapting and surviving, finding new ways to serve our communities. At Bank of Ireland, we're doing our bit. And because your financial well-being is our priority, our dedicated business teams can help you take the next step. So we can all keep tapping, clicking and collecting. And one day, getting back to what we all do best. We can, we will, begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.